there, and welcome to Taiwan Talk, where we share the stories of people living in Taiwan. I'm Trevor Tortomasi, and joining me in the studio today is Brian Hopkins, a documentary filmmaker living in Taiwan who has recently returned from Ukraine. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure huh? to be here. So, I mean, we'll get right into it. We were talking a little bit before this interview, but um, can you tell us about your current project? So right now, uh, I'm working on a document on Ukraine uh, and about the war, but it's, uh, you know, obviously I have to, yeah, I'm an independent filmmaker, so I don't have big budget, big money. I'm not going to meet with Zelensky or anything like that, but there's a human story. And... The previous film I did, Dirty Energy, um, you know, basically I was just watching the news and after about a month of just nonstop news coverage, I was watching an interview with uh, uh, Anderson Cooper with uh, Billy Nungesser and Billy Nungesser's, why, you know, why won't people hear me? Why won't people? And I jumped out of my seat. I hear you. <laughs> I had a camera. I had been out of film school for about a, two years, you know, and I was like, and I packed my bags. Uh, I drove down to Louisiana. I didn't know anyone in the state. Drove cross country. I had a bag of groceries that I bought with food stamps and I had $200. And I posted on Facebook, if you ever want to see me again, you better send me some money because I only have enough money to get down there and the first night <laughs> you i held yourself ransom yeah 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 <laughs> okay. yeah yeah as filmmakers do. <laughs> oh well yeah especially the the, the the poor ones like me but it's like so i went and i slept in my car the first night in a parking lot and it was the first time i experienced weather like we have in taiwan uh louisiana for reference is in the southeast of the u.s uh and that's close to the gulf of mexico uh the part of the ocean where the bp oil spill that's right happened in 2010 yeah. So I basically slept out of my car and I filmed half the film by myself, got a little bit of investment money, went back, shot the other half of the film. And I went on to win Dallas International Film Festival, Santa Barbara International, which is a top 40 festival, went to Amsterdam and, and, and it did well, but it didn't make any money. Then I moved to Taiwan. I've been writing. But then one of my good friends, a gentleman who lived across the street from me, I live in Shindian, and he was from Ukraine. And we've been friends for eight years. And uh, COVID happened. Then the war started. And for me, it was almost like the same thing. It was like, I'm watching the news. I'm watching the story, watching the story. And I'm feeling helpless. And I'm feeling I have to do something. I went and I bought new camera gear. And I went over there knowing only one person, which was my friend, Yuri. Uh, and uh, and this was the friend from Taiwan. From Taiwan, also yeah. Also went back to Ukraine. Yeah, he, w oh, he went man. back to Ukraine and then the pandemic hit. And then he still has contracts here. He spends most of his time actually in Taiwan. Yeah. But he couldn't come back because of COVID. And then as the pandemic went on, then the war started. Now he still can't come back. So you went, you went to Ukraine uh, when earlier this year? Uh, I, I, I just got back uh, a week and a half ago. Oh, wow. What a summer. So what, yeah. what was the first thing you did when you got there? So this is right in the middle of it. It had already begun. It was, I was about halfway through, right? Yeah. Uh, well, it's not over, but um, it, was, it was three months into the war. So my conditions for going, you know, it ended up being first I wanted to be there for the intense action that was going on. And I, but then I said, you know, really, I, I don't feel comfortable with my ancient, I mean, we're talking, it's been 23 years since I was in the army, right? Mm -hmm. So everything I remember is like just the basic stuff. I don't really feel uh, that I would be the best person in a medical situation. And I do feel like I have a commitment before my children to return home. So I said, what can I do that doesn't include that? Well, 
that door opened up. So I was looking for an opportunity. I, I applied to the Foreign Legion as a non-combatant, uh, and the communication I got back for them was very informal, and it made it raised some red flags uh, because, and and this is something that, you know. Countries don't typically prepare for being invaded, you know, so they don't have the infrastructure in place for foreign fighters. So a lot of people who showed up, they sat there and they waited for weeks. And, and a lot of the foreign fighters actually have returned home because um, this is an artillery war. And most most Ukrainians have never seen a Russian soldier. Right. That, that's something that boggles the mind, really. When I went to Ukraine, I was expecting that there was a Russian waiting at the border. But in fact... It, People in Lviv, right at this moment, I mean, they're living in, as close to normal as you could live. Um, Lviv is close to where? The, the Polish border. It's about it's about 60 miles from, from the, the Polish. Okay. Yeah, so it's on the west, mm-hmm. right? So if we're, we're going to map out Ukraine, uh, so the furthest west, you have Lviv. In the middle north, you have Kiev. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the top right, you have uh, Kharkiv. Then if you go down from there, uh, you're going to have Odessa. Right. Mm. Uh, and then if you take go from Odessa to Lviv or Kiev, right in the middle and between all that, you have Dnipro. Mm. So these are the major, big major cities. And I was in all of them uh, filming mm. and I was there for three months and it was uh, it was unbelievable. Um, I mean, uh, I met my friend Yuri and. Lviv, but the, um, the rules. When War, I say wartime l- rules, or you mean like general uh, it's, it's rules? Under, it's under martial law. Yeah, yeah. And this impacted me as a filmmaker. You know what the police and you know what the Ukrainian military are looking for in the cities? They're not looking for Russians. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, people make a phone call and they'll go in, but every single day what they're looking for, they're looking for people with cameras. And we're talking cell phones. So you cannot take a picture of a bridge in Ukraine. If you have your camera on and you take a picture and there's some military anything, your phone has geolocation information. You post that to Facebook. Russians don't know where everything is. Until you post something. Until you post something. And then they have those coordinates. That is is what the Ukrainian and so the Ukrainian military uh, and the Ukrainian government is concerned about. They will remove my press credentials. If I post information Mm. about current military and right now they have a media complete media blackout and uh, you cannot drink. There are no bars open after nine o'clock. You could not when I arrived buy liquor. You could only buy beer or wine. Um, And uh, and what they didn't want was basically this is each oblast, which is like a county uh, like Taipei or New Taipei, uh, basically governs its own rules. So what they don't want is people in the West who aren't necessarily directly affected by the war to the same extent, partying and and getting drunk on the streets because out of respect. And, and actually, everyone really, this is the thing that just floors me. This whole country is so united and so behind this war as far as defending their homeland that it's it's humbling and the ukrainian people have this sense of nationalism now that is so pure and everyone's on the same page and, and it's a massive country uh it it would be if it joins the eu it would be the largest country in europe i mean the the train ride from one side to the other is 18 hours mm. I mean, that's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's one of those things that when, 
when you get a chance to witness nationalism in a, in a pure form, where it's in, in like in the U.S., we have a lot of polarization. If someone says, you know, they're a nationalist or they love the flag, immediately I'm skeptical. But you go to Ukraine, they don't even listen to music that is non-Ukrainian music at this point. They are so galvanized as a community, as a people. And it's not, it's not like we're better than anything else. It's like we need to stick together to survive this because this is a major existential threat. And it was... It was, uh, it was, I, I really felt like they kept thanking me for being there because they just, you know, a lot of these interviews, they just mm. wanted to be heard, right? I mean, even when I was done with the interview, some people were crying. They wanted to give me a hug because they were just glad that some foreigner gave a But I wanted to re- like tell them, like, look, man, I don't know how much I can do as a filmmaker to raise awareness, but I love you and I feel like I'm getting something out of this too. Mm. And it was really, it was, it was a humbling experience. And, and so I think, well, we can come back right to Ukraine, yeah. but I, I know most of us share at least like a base level of concern over the current geopolitical situation in Taiwan sure. as well. And uh, what parallels, I mean, besides the obvious ones, or, or including the obvious ones, do you draw between Ukraine and Taiwan right now? Well, there are so many parallels. And I, I'll just tell you, I actually got a chance to have an off-camera Uh, interview with the Russian ambassador to Poland Hmm. and I spoke with him for about an hour and 15 minutes and one of the 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 most stark things that he said is he goes because he asked he was asking where I was from I said I'm from the U.S. but I live in Taiwan and that was important to communicate to him and I said we are genuinely scared that China is going to attempt to do what Russia is doing in Ukraine he says, well, it's not going to happen right away, but in two years, you're going to understand why it's important to be with the empire as opposed to against it. Wow. Yeah. You know, for me, it was, it was, it was quite scary to hear that. Uh, I, was, I don't know if he knows something that other people don't know. There's a lot of chatter in the news. Maybe he's just talking from the headlines. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily take his word as gospel because what was very clear is that Russia, which is a parallel, Russia and China, you know, their words are meant for effect, not for their literal translation. So when they say denazification, what they mean is they want to stop nationalism. Any national pride, any sense of independence uh, is something that has to be crushed. And, and the one thing, actually, the ambassador and I did agree on is that Ukraine was an existential threat to Russia because if Ukraine could exist as a thriving democracy associated with the West, then that proves that all this bull authoritarian nonsense doesn't have to be there. It's not a requirement for a thriving society. As a matter of fact, it's counterproductive. Even if Beijing wanted to pretend that Taiwan didn't exist because it was militaristically um, expensive for them to have this this, uh, operation, for Taiwan to exist, for a society that is so similar in many ways, to them, it proves that you can have freedom of speech and still have a, a functioning society. This is the thing that imperialism and I, I, you know, I wish Ukrainians were asleep for the invasion and yeah. they're shocked. And Zelensky was, was seemed to be caught off base. Um, he didn't have adequate protection for himself. I, I interviewed a lot of people in Ukraine. But when I heard the news story that the Chinese flew a drone into Taiwan airspace and then they shot a flare at it at a pistol at it, I was like, are you kidding me? I was really like, I was beside myself. I was like, you have to start getting on a war footing. 
because China is at war with Taiwan, whether Taiwan knows it or not. It's a cold war. It's not a hot war, but we can see that China's warming up. I just really feel like this needs to be taken seriously. Yeah, and I, yeah. I see that parallel. So the the arc of, of your of your narrative in, in this in this documentary you're making about Ukraine is uh, I'm sure most of the things you've said so far, but also is it it's documenting some of the things you were doing to help? Is it documenting the people's lives and Because I can't compete with CNN. Mm. I don't have access, I don't have the money, I don't have all this other stuff. Mm. What I go in is I, I have time. Mm-hmm. So I go in, I have my questions, I have my, my ideas, I go in, and for the first month I don't shoot anything. Just talk to people, get a feeling for how they see the situation, make connections, uh, and then once I make certain connections, then filming becomes quite easy because then I, I know the story. I, I don't go with a story. I go with ideas. Mm. I'm very open and honest about what my ideas are from the news coverage. But then I let them tell me what the story is. And so... Like, like Michelangelo, the, the story is in the marble. Yeah. You were just trying to find it. Yeah. Okay. And so the story that I did is 100% what is the spirit of Ukraine? And, and, and it is a, a story of people striving for their basic core value, which is freedom. First and foremost, I asked... Every person I interviewed, what is it to be Ukrainian? 80 to 90%. They, they actually answered their very first word is freedom. Yeah. Don't govern me. Don't tread on me kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. that notion is there. And, and, and that, that's what makes them so fundamentally different than Russians. And we could say again, the Taiwanese and the, the Chinese, what is, what is the huge difference? The Taiwanese people just like the Ukrainian people, are not beholden to their government. Their government serves the people. And if the people are unhappy, they're going to let the government know mm. and they'll be willing to put a million people to protest. And, and that is a rules-based society. It is a democracy. It's messy at times. But it's the best rule uh, for... Think of a family, right? Yeah. You have kids. It's not a democracy when the kids are under 12, mm-hmm. but it gradually becomes one as time goes on That's because I never of it that they way. Yeah. get older and then now their opinion starts to matter more. But it should just be understood that democracy, as you become a thriving society that's educated, that democracy is an inevitability and should be a goal that everyone strives to have. And Taiwan is way ahead. And the world, and this thing was kind of shocking, um, I interviewed Yuslav Herzog. He said, we think that because society is mostly Western, that we hear in our, in our information space, we are only exposed to Western countries for the most part. We have this notion that we're somehow in the majority, but that's not the case. We're not the majority. The majority of the people in the world are not people who believe in democracy and rule of law. The majority of the people are still operating in an old system. Uh, so take China. The vast majority of the people reside in these areas, not Europe. And these areas, rule of law is limited. It, it's becoming increasingly more important, but rule of power is something that is very important. So if we allow Taiwan and Ukraine to slip then basically what we're, ba- we're allowing is uh, the world to kind of roll back in time. And this is, you know, imperialist countries don't know how to rein themselves in. That's by definition, they have to take land in order to exist. It's certainly a, a Sisyphean <laughs> task, but which one is the boulder and which one's the hill? 
Oh. Each side is trying to de- define what is inevitable, and the inevitability is, I think, that there will always be conflict. But sure, I think, uh, boy, which one, which one statistically has happier people in it? Mm. Mm. It's it's well, it's a bit tough, you know, because you take a look in China and Russia. Are you actually able to get accurate polls? If I wanted to give democracy, and this is the way I understood it, was from the context of my family. Mm-hmm. If I said autumn. My daughter, 10 years old. Should we stay in Taiwan or should we move? Let's all vote. Mm-hmm. Okay. So no. Let's go live in Disneyland. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. right. That's yeah, exactly. right. So you don't ask a 10-year-old. And so I can understand that. If if that is where you at, then then you have to make the best decision. And so I don't think that necessarily Western countries like the United States need to go around and start telling everyone how to live their lives. I think we've made a horrible mess of things by doing that. We really don't understand the Middle East. And but then Xi Jinping and, and, uh, and Putin are, are treating everyone like 10-year-olds. Yes, yes. And okay, that's fine. If you want to treat people 10 years old and then you have to go ahead and fight, those, those 10-year-olds have to fight just like every adolescent. What do they do? They fight their parents to say, I deserve a seat at the table. Okay, so fine. Your people need to fight you. And that's going to be a horrible mess if you don't deal with it in the right way. But why should Ukraine be a part of that? Mm. The problem is, is that, and I did actually interview some Russians for the film. And the Russians said, the USSR and Russia are synonymous in our education system. He said, Ukraine is our little brother. And Belarus is a little brother. George's little brother, because he said, our job as Russians is to help our little brother. I said, well, what if little brother doesn't want your help? You don't understand. That's not an option. So Russia is defined by the notion that it must control these satellites. Uh, And so if you want imperialism in the world, then don't pay attention to Ukraine. If you want imperialism in the world, don't pay attention to Taiwan. But for the West, for for modern rule of law, civilized society, this these are the battlefronts. And it's not regional conflict. Taiwan is not a regional conflict. It is not a fight for Taiwan independence. For Taiwanese, it is. But for the world, it is it is. Do we allow a system of oppression to expand? Taiwan needs to be Ukraine's best friend. Mm -hmm. They need to understand what these people are going through because modern warfare is so incredibly different. Mm. I met one guy who's a physicist who is also a a historian and was in the USSR Olympics. Him and his wife, they took a artillery shell straight to the side of their house, blew up the entire kitchen, everything. And then sure enough, when I showed up and I listened to his story... He's like, you want to have some champagne? I was like, sure. What a time to celebrate life, right? <laughs> he was just so happy he had a guest. It was yeah. Ukrainian hospitality. So I, I, I posted a picture on my Facebook, a picture of me having champagne and chocolate at the base of a building that has been reduced to like half the building standing with the front half section ripped off. And you could see the inside of everyone's homes, wow. see their lives. See the kitchen sink, the dishes that weren't done, the kids' toys strewn all over the floor. It's so ugly, and it's so indiscriminate, and and it's so horrifying. Imagine, you know, in Taipei, you you have five apartments that explode a day. Just five apartments in Taipei. Now, is it too dangerous to live here? No, I mean, you know, we just went through COVID. It could be any five. It, It could be any five. That's right. But the fact that it's unpredictable makes it horrifying. And that anybody standing by that apartment, anybody who's in that apartment, 
they're just gone. That's terror. And, and that's what they're doing to the Ukrainians. And Kharkiv is right up to that front line. And those people, oh, every person there is defined by what they are doing to contribute to the war effort. Little kids have little checkpoints in parking garages saying, you can't wow. pass until you give me money. I'll give you lemonade. And they give them lemonade. They take money and it all goes to the soldiers. Mm. Every single person. I interviewed some one guy. He was a roofer from Cleveland, left his business. He's uh, mid to late 50s. And he just delivers bulletproof vests, uh, clothes, and non-weapon type uh, supplies mm. from Lviv to the front lines. And he does that every other week. Uh, an entrepreneur, a restaurant owner, just so happened to have a World War II nuclear fallout shelter below his building. And you wouldn't believe how many of those buildings have that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, they're everywhere. But shut down his restaurant, uh, started serving food to the locals during the height of the war. Then uh, he had an Israeli passport. Instead of freeing the country, he went to Israel, bought ammunition, bought uh, drones, funded all of that, and turned his restaurant into a nonprofit and is now uh, rescuing people from the front lines. He's evacuated more than 10,000 people mm. since the start of the war. Six months. I mean, the numbers are so staggering. I mean, Poland is, uh, you, you can't believe how Ukrainian it is. Like three, four million people, five, mm. something like that. I think I six to... million at the, at the height, but then a yeah. lot of them came back. That's and that's right. the thing. Ukraine, uh, Ukrainians love Ukraine. Mm. And I imagine that would be the same for Taiwan yeah. as well. Even the people who are native Russian speakers, mm. who, who have family in Russia, they are now, they've been formed as a nation and they're, they're, they're rock hard. I mean, they, they are just, it's inspiring. It's inspiring mm. to see that. I can't wait to see uh, what, what you're making, but also um, to, I guess, sort of conclude the interview with a little bit of hope. What stories do you think we need to hear more of from Taiwan? Seeing Ukraine and the stories that are being told about Ukraine now, maybe the stories that were being told just before the invasion. The hope is there's beauty in humanity. And even through the greatest trials and tribulations, you can see the pure heart of these people. And it was really amazing to see in Ukraine. But I know that Taiwan has the same purity of heart as well. And uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to learning from what you've learned. And, and, and when can we expect to see this, uh, this project come to light? Uh, hopefully by December. Well, three months yeah. I'm giving myself, but I the, the film will still be relevant even if the war ends. Um, but I have the bakery, so the the bakery is the bakery you're running in Taiwan. Yeah, yeah so okay. Flavor of the World is my bakery that I'm running, and it's uh, so I just came back. I'm having I'm really wanting to minimize. We'll probably remove some products and see how things go, and just I have some staff let them do things, and I just need to edit this film. And do you have a name for your documentary, the Ukraine one? I have a name. Uh, you don't have to reveal it. But, but I, 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 I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I, I need to see how the film goes because it, okay. it needs to earn it. You have to get um, to the center of the, the marble. The Spirit of Ukraine, I would say, is a good tentative title. It just has to be worthy. 
Well, I do have to get yep. back to work soon, unfortunately. But but uh, <laughs> thank you so much for talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming in, and telling yeah. your story. Thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> we... No, I'm. <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm sorry. That's me ripping up the script. <laughs> That's me ripping up the questions I prepared because it didn't matter. Brian Hopkins, uh, is there any place that people can find you currently uh, while they're waiting for the movie to come out? You can go to uh, Flood Films on Facebook and um, Dirty Energy as well. There's a page that was Dirty your BP, Energy BP film. Uh, the the BP film on Facebook, and you could. Uh, if you want to watch the Dirty Energy film, I put it on YouTube. It's not monetized. I just gave it to the people. And I, so you can watch the full-length film if you look up Dirty Energy Movie. Um, and Can people find you on the Facebook fan page, Instagram, something to go Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Flood Films, I'm on Instagram. Uh, Brian, I think it's Brian Outside. Brian with a Y. Yes. yes okay. Brian, Brian with a Y and a D is a middle initial. Yeah. Okay. Then you'll find me everywhere. Brian D. Hopkins. Okay, well, thank you for coming to the studio today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. And uh, until next time... I'm Trevor Tortomasi on ICRT FM 100. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can check out our other podcasts. We've got Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the news in Taiwan every Friday, English in the News for useful English expressions explained in Chinese, and EZ News, spelled with the letters E and Z, for simplified daily news. For some lighter news in both English and Chinese, check out News Bites and News for Kids. And if you enjoy them, tell a friend. Thanks for listening.